What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. King's Island is now open weekends. We do continue to follow the breaking news tonight that Donald Trump has received indictment number three, courtesy of the D.C. grand jury investigating his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. And let us just be clear, this is an historic moment in this country. Never has a president of the United States refused to relinquish power until Trump. Never has a former president come up with a conspiracy that involves having their vice president overturn the will of the people through the use of fake electors until Trump. Never has a former president incited an insurrection with armed extremists to storm the U.S. Capitol until Trump. And no U.S. president has ever been indicted before Trump. And again, for Trump, this is indictment number three. And in many ways, it is the most historically significant one. Because it's not just about his personal conduct. It is about us, our democracy. And now to the substance. Donald Trump has been charged with four criminal counts. Conspiracy to defraud the United States. Conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. And conspiracy against rights, specifically the right to vote and to have one's vote counted. And as we now know, Trump did not attempt to do this alone. The indictment names six unnamed co-conspirators who assisted him in his criminal efforts, four attorneys, one Justice Department official, and a political consultant. And just in the last hour, we heard from special counsel Jack Smith about this indictment. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6th, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. The men and women of law enforcement who defended the U.S. Capitol on January 6th are heroes. They are patriots and they are the very best of us. They did not just defend a building or the people sheltering in it. They put their lives on the line to defend who we are as a country and as a people. They defended the very institutions and principles that define the United States. Since the attack on our capital, the Department of Justice has remained committed to ensuring accountability for those criminally responsible for what happened that day. This case is brought consistent with that commitment, and our investigation of other individuals continues. In this case, my office will seek a speedy trial so that our evidence can be tested in court and judged by a jury of citizens. 
And Trump will find himself back in a courtroom this week, having been summoned to appear in D.C. on Thursday. I'm joined now by former Democratic Senator Claire McCaskill, Jen Psaki, former White House press secretary and host of Inside with Jen Psaki right here on MSNBC. Neil Katyal, Georgetown law professor and former acting solicitor general. Jill Weinbanks, former assistant Watergate special prosecutor and an MSNBC legal analyst. Ankush Kandori, former federal prosecutor and New York Magazine contributing writer. And NBC News justice reporter Ryan Riley. Thank you all for being here. I'm going to start with the lawyers, uh, with uh, due respect to all of my guests. And we have a great panel, and they're all, we're holding them all hostage as long as we can. So we'll get to everyone. But I do want to start uh, with you, Neil. I don't know how much of this you have read. I've been watching you on the air for much of today, so I feel like you've read more of it certainly than I have. I'm, I'm on page 25. But uh, I, what I've taken from it so far is that this indictment, which Ari Melber has called a shouting indictment, because it definitely is narrative and it's very loud in what it says, it seems to me that one of the things that uh, this indictment is doing is being very careful to detail all of the ways in which Donald Trump was told he lost the elections in all of the key states that he wanted to contest and his insistence on tweeting and insisting and lying about those elections one by one by one by one. Why do you think it was so important to do that for so many pages in this indictment? Yeah, so it's a shouting indictment, Joy. It's not just one of the most significant indictments. It is the most significant indictment against Donald Trump. It is the most significant legal case of our lifetimes. It is one of, if not the most significant case in United States history. It is up there with Dred Scott. It is up there with Brown versus Board of Education because this goes to the essential question of who we are as a people. Do we let someone, the president, act in this way? And that's why, going to your question about the detail, why is the detail so important? Because Jack Smith has to do two things, and he has to do them unproved under the highest standard of the law, which is all lied against him, called beyond a reasonable doubt. He's got to prove two things to this jury of 12 people. And if any one of the jurors says, I disagree, Donald Trump goes free. So he has to win all 12. What are the two things? One, that Donald Trump committed a bad criminal act that he conspired, he agreed to try and overturn the election, to interfere with the election results, to obstruct the counting of the votes on January 6th, one of our most solemn days. That's number one. Number two, Smith has to prove that Donald Trump did that with a bad criminal intent, that he didn't do it because he thought he won the election, but rather the contrary. That's where these 45 pages, and yes, I've been trying to read them as furiously as I can, <laughs> really go, uh, are so significant, Joy, because it's page after page of damning fact after fact. And of course, Donald Trump, Trump is entitled to the presumption of innocence. Of course, he's got the highest standard of the law in his favor. But at the end of the day, these facts speak really loudly and they can't be spun. You can try it, you know, on the media or on Truth Social or whatever or on Twitter. But these are going to be tried in a courtroom, going to be tried in a courtroom with one of the very best judges in Washington, D.C. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat, if you're a prosecutor or a defense attorney. Judge Chutkin is known for being incredibly fair minded. She has a criminal defense background for 20 years. 
of doing this, or I think of 10 to 20 years. Um, and most importantly, she was confirmed of this <coughs> confirmed by the United States Senate to her federal judgeship, not by some close squeaker vote, 95 to zero. That's who's presiding over this case. And the 45 pages are going to be aired out in a court in a jury. And if I'm Donald Trump right now, you know, he's gotten away with a lot of things in his life. But this is karma coming to roost. Yeah. And, you know, Jill Weinbanks, you know, uh, you uh, worked on uh, the case that was the next closest we've ever come to having a president indicted, obviously, Richard Nixon. And, and it seems to me that the narrative here, to Neil's point, I mean, this this is unprecedented. But what Donald Trump attempted to do was also unprecedented, to attempt to remain in power after not only did he lose and simply was disappointed that he lost, but this indictment makes very clear he was told in no uncertain terms by people who he had hired hired himself, appointed himself, put in place himself, including the person who was in charge of maintaining election security, that he lost. And they make that case very clear, such that if, I don't know, you were to read this indictment in a loudspeaker, you know, in front of a MAGA crowd, it would be very difficult for them to even dispute the fact that he did lose the election. But I wonder what you think the significance of the, the, the fact of the indictment, but also the way that the indictment is laid out um, from your very unique perspective perspective. So the first thing I think is that this was essential to defending our democracy, that if Donald Trump were to get away with what he attempted to do and is continuing to attempt to do, it is the end of our democracy. So we needed this indictment. And although Ari is, of course, right, it's a shouting indictment, it's a quiet shout because it lays out facts. You can pick any random page in this indictment, any page, and just start reading and you will go, whoa, those are really compelling facts. Those are really incriminating of the president. And it talks about the defendant did this. The defendant made a phone call. The defendant directed someone else to make a phone call so that it really is about him and his actions. And the fact that he's the only defendant, I think is important. It means that Jack Smith wants this to get to trial right away. The fact that it includes six co-conspirators is because their testimony needs to be admissible. And it's admissible if it's a co-defendant and or a co-conspirator. And so that's why they're named or not named, but included. And it's not unlike what we did in Watergate, where we had Richard Nixon as an unindicted co-conspirator. And the reason for that was we needed to admit his tape evidence. And as a co-conspirator, his conversations were admissible. I also want to point out, we had the entire grand jury come to the courtroom to hand up the indictment. And it was because every one of them wanted to say yes we handed up a true bill. Yes, we voted that way. We also handed up a roadmap to impeachment that we got permission from the court to violate grand jury secrecy to turn over to the Judiciary Committee. And that included lies that Richard Nixon told to the public, which we thought weren't perjury, but were impeachable. Um, I, I want to do a little bit of reporting here. We, we can now confirm, uh, to Jill Weinbank's point, there are six unindicted co-conspirators here, unnamed as well. Conspirator, they're just called Conspirator 1 through Conspirator 6. Um, NBC News can now confirm that Conspirator 
co-conspirator, I should say, number one, is appears to be Rudy Giuliani. And they are described in this indictment as an attorney who was willing to spread knowingly false claims and pursue strategies that the defendant's 2020 re-election campaign attorneys would not. Um, in the indictment, they tell several stories that do make it appear that it is Rudy Giuliani, including the story about the allegations that he made against Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Shay Moss. They spell those out in the indictment, which makes it pretty clear that this does appear to be Rudy Giuliani. Co-conspirator number three, um, who is described um, in the indictment um, as well, is apparently um, Sidney Powell. Um, that is the reporting from NBC News that co-conspirator three is Sidney Powell. This person is described as an attorney whose unfounded claims of election fraud the defendant privately acknowledged to others sounded crazy. Nevertheless, the defendant embraced and publicly amplified co-conspirator three's disinformation. Uh, that person appears to be Sidney Powell. Let me do a little bit more here. Mike Pence has issued a statement. And here it is. Um, it says, today's indictment serves as an important reminder. Anyone who puts himself over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. I will have more to say about the government's case after reviewing the indictment. The former president is entitled to the presumption of innocence, but with this indictment, his candidacy means more talk about January 6th and more distractions. As Americans, his candidacy, candidacy means less attention paid to Joe Biden's disastrous economic policies affecting millions across the United States. And yada. Yada, 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 yada. And then he goes into like an attack on Joe Biden. Uh, I do want to uh, bring you in, Ankush Khanduri, because, Khanduri, it does appear that, you know, Mike Pence did not participate in the January 6th hearings. He refused to testify. Um, he's refused to participate. He's refused to even call January 6th an insurrection. He very likely will have to testify against. Uh, Donald Trump as a test, I, I assume, right? He, he would be a prosecution witness. It does appear that way from the allegations in the indictment that Pence would be an essential witness on some of the events here. And so um, what would be the use of his, I mean, he was in a, a potential victim, right? Yeah, I mean, in a sense, he is a potential victim of the uh, of the effort to sort of get him to throw the, the certification to Trump. But also he's there or would be there to talk about all the things that Trump was being told about uh, uh, whether or not he actually lost the election, the the legal theory or lack thereof for the grounding for the legal theory, and what Trump himself was saying and doing. And I can't help but notice that, you know, the indictment is pretty light on things that were coming out of Trump's mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I expect we're going to be learning more about that as the case unfolds. And it's not necessary for them to lay all that out in detail in this, in this particular document. But um, people like Pence, the people who were actually with him, in physically with him during these key meetings and speaking to him are going to be essential witnesses in this case. Right. And Ryan, uh, it, it, he'll be a reluctant witness, but it will be an awkward situation because he is running against Donald Trump and he seems reluctant to really talk about him, although he has said repeatedly that he thinks what he did um, violated his oath and it attempted to get Pence to violate his as well. That's right. And we saw him, you know, go before the grand jury and they sort of swept him in in these black cars, went into the garage and went up. And then this was all unfolding during, of course, uh, the Oath Keeper, rather the Proud Boys seditious conspiracy trial. And, you know, it is really remarkable, I think, at this moment to see after sitting through so many of these January 6 hearings and seeing people who had their lives ripped apart uh, because they bought into these lies. I just wonder what a lot of them are thinking now that you actually have some degree of culpability or some degree of accountability for uh, for Donald Trump himself. Because, you know, just a few days ago, there was a family of these uh, individuals who all sort of bought in uh, to the lies. And their son, who was 18 at the time, mm-hmm. actually physically stormed the Capitol, was in the gallery above, went down onto the floor, 
was covering up the cameras, was trying to open up the doors. Um, and they, afterwards, the, the parents went before the judge and said, hey, I was tricked, I was fooled, and told them they were really embarrassed by their actions because they were full-grown adults and should have known better than to believe these really obvious lies. And, you know, that's really the sort of at the heart of this case is that this was really obvious at the time to anyone who looked at this with just basic human understanding or basic logic that these this was nonsense. So I think that that's like what they're trying to emphasize here is that Donald Trump, who purports to be one of these really intelligent people, mm. had to have known that this was absolute garbage. There's just no way anyone who looks at this honestly could say otherwise. And that's, I think, what they're really trying to prove. Well, and, you know, Claire, I, I do want to bring you in there because this is the challenge, I think, right? Uh, I personally hope that this would this trial be televised. I don't think that is the way it works. Um, but there, the thing that is so noxious about what Trump did is that if you talk to many Trump supporters, they regurgitate um, with very little prompting everything that Trump said and that is recounted in this indictment up to page 25 here when they get there. I mean, they go through page after page after page of person saying, no one wanted Donald Trump to win more than me. No one worked harder for Trump to be reelected in, name the state. He lost. And he and I told him he lost. And, and this is recounted over and over again. That is the lingering impact of the big lie, isn't it, Claire? Is that there is a, what, a good third of the American adults who still believe it. Yeah, it, you know, this is an interesting day. I started my day opening the New York Times and reading the headline that said that Joe Biden and Donald Trump are in a dead eat tie for president of the United States. And a few hours later, we have an indictment that in a way that no American should ever think is acceptable, that the president of the United States tried to basically take away people's right to vote and install himself wrongfully as president of the United States. And we have about somewhere around 20% or maybe a little less of America that is going to believe Donald Trump no matter what he says. So as we talk about this indictment and as we cover this trial and as we go forward, I think we all need to be really mindful that there are a lot of people out there that we need to not assume they know what all the facts are. I would say to everybody right now, assign this indictment to your book club. Um, ask your children to read it. Ask your next door neighbor to read it with you. Go out of your way because there's a huge number of Americans that are persuadable that Donald Trump did do these things. They know he's not a moral man. And this is he's not getting indicted for lying. I thought it was great that Jack Smith started this indictment by saying you don't get indicted for lying. You get indicted for conspiring to stop the function of government in counting fairly the votes of the American people and certifying those votes. That's what this indictment is all about. And we need to stay focused on that and realize that right now in America, it's a jump ball. This guy could be in charge again. And how frightening is that once you've read this indictment? Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast.
Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Yeah, you know, Jen, um, that is the communications challenge, and you know of communications challenges um, of working for two White Houses. The indictment starts out by saying that Donald Trump had a right to mm-hmm. fully litigate his challenges to the election, and he did that and failed each time. It then goes through in a way that I think is an attempt to persuade and to make very clear that this isn't Jack Smith just opining about whether Donald Trump won or lost the election. Donald Trump's people told him he lost the election. And then there are all of these instances where immediately after he's told you lost in Wisconsin, he turns around and says there was fraud in Wisconsin. Well, you lost in Georgia. He turns around and says there was fraud and actually in many cases gets people, gets death threats. People get death threats as a result of it. And so that is the challenge here is that the way he's going to frame this is that Joe Biden is attempting to prosecute his biggest and most powerful opponent. This indictment is the answer to that. But how does that message get through? That's right. That's exactly how he will try to frame it. And he will also try to frame it as if it is the same what is in here as what Hunter Biden and any other members of the Biden family, in Trump's words, are guilty of. We know that is absolutely false and not true. Now, they made a similar argument back in 2020, and it did not work because the American people are smarter sometimes than we give them credit for. I will say, just having done communications for a while, you read just the first The second uh, paragraph here in the first sentence is, despite having lost, the defendant was determined to remain in power. That is the whole point of this entire indictment right here. I'm not assuming everybody will read it. I would echo Claire. Use it for your book club. Encourage your friends to read it, your neighbors. I will also note, Joy, that some of the things that are stuck out to me in here that I think can be effective from a communication standpoint is the specifics. We talked about Mike Pence and the statement, and we'll hear more from him. Page 36, 37, 38, whether these details are all from the former vice president, they may be. Maybe they're from his former chief of staff, others. They're so specific. They go through moment by moment. They also have this line. Uh, upon learning of this, and this is when the the, uh, the defendant, Donald Trump, grew frustrated and told the vice president that the defendant would have to publicly criticize him. So he's saying, I'm going to publicly criticize you in this private one-on-one meeting. Upon learning of this, the vice president's chief of staff was so concerned for the vice president's safety, he alerted the head of the vice president's secret service detail. That there tells you how jarring this was. The v- former vice president, Mike Pence, conservative, Republican, We'll see what he says publicly, but that is a very jarring thing. It is a challenge. I think it's going to require, at some point, President Biden not speaking to the specifics of it. Sure. They think that their strategy is working on that front at this point. Mm-hmm. 
but really making this about the values and the difference. And it is about democracy versus someone who isn't going to protect your basic rights. We saw that work in 2022. I expect that's where they will take it. I think that's what will be effective. Um, Very interesting, because it is a communications challenge, but the facts are very, very clear here. I I do want to bring in Congressman Benny Thompson, uh, Democrat from Mississippi, and the former chair of the House January 6th uh, Special Committee. Um, Congressman and Mr. Chairman, thank you so much for being here. I actually asked um, earlier this afternoon for my team to reprint your opening statement um, at the very beginning of the January 6th hearings in which you referenced the Civil War, Um, you know, the the sort of last great conflagration and question of whether we would remain a unified democracy. And and so I am very curious to get your reaction as someone who presided over the hearings that gave us so much of the detail before this detail um, that helped us understand what happened on January 6th. Your reaction to this indictment? Well, thank you so much, Joy, for uh, having me on. First of all, let me say none of us take any uh, real pleasure in where we are at this point. But I think we all have to understand that as a nation of laws, even a president or former president is not above the law. And so we have to go forward as a nation of laws, uh, identifying uh, what those challenges are. What our committee did, uh, I think in great detail, uh, we told the story. Uh, A lot of what uh, we hear and see in this indictment came from the body of work of our committee. So I feel uh, from a vindication standpoint that our committee uh, followed the facts. I feel that uh, the facts uh, after following them spoke for themselves. So it's not a, a, a proud day for us, but in order for democracy to stand from time to time, we have to uh, uh, get tested. Uh, and what we have right now is a test of our great democracy. And you are a plaintiff in a lawsuit uh, that uses the Ku Klux Klan Act uh, uh, to, you know, challenge Donald Trump on the violence that took place. And we saw so much footage um, that was later misused, uh, I would argue, by Speaker Kevin McCarthy and handed over to a now-fired host at Fox um, so that they could try to manipulate what we all saw and sort of gaslight us as to what we saw. Um, What is the status of that case? Um, And what do you make of the fact that Donald Trump is not charged um, with anything to do with the insurrection and the violence, but the violence and the potential for violence is described nonetheless in the indictment? Well, I think, first of all, uh, when I became chair uh, of the committee, I stepped back from the lawsuit. Uh, I thought it would be a conflict. I think there's value in the lawsuit. I'm convinced that what occurred on January 6th, uh, based on the evidence we'll find in court, uh, former President Trump, uh, potentially had a lot to do with it. Uh, the indictment says that. But as important, uh, Joy, is this notion that three of the four charges uh, that uh, in this indictment came directly uh, from the work of our committee. Uh, I'm convinced that uh, the public viewing the body of work and DOJ looking at it, feeling that uh, at this point, given what we've seen and what we've collected, and what has been shared by the committee, 
and we have to go forward. So, so to some degree, uh, we created a path uh, for the Department of Justice to start uh, its formal investigation. So I'm uh, thankful that uh, Speaker Pelosi at the time uh, appointed the committee because the Congress failed to set up a bipartisan committee. But as you know, we had to do something. And so those several hundred witnesses uh, that we interviewed, so much of the information that we see in this indictment came from those interviews. So uh, I, over time, I'm convinced, Joy, uh, that more will come. And uh, we know that some key figures, um, such as Mark Meadows and obviously Vice President Mike, Mark, uh, Mike Pence, refused uh, to come before the committee and testify. Um, and having seen all of the evidence and reviewed all of the evidence and chaired the committee, what do you expect them to be able to add as, you know, presumable witnesses uh, in this case? Well, obviously, it would have been nice if the vice president... Uh, as well as Mark Meadows and some others, uh, including members of Congress, uh, had uh, honored the subpoenas, uh, but they didn't. Uh, I think in this venue now, they don't have a choice. Uh, they'll have to come forward under oath, and I would hope tell the truth. Once the truth uh, comes out, I'm convinced that those facts in the indictment will be proven uh, factual. It is clear that based on the information of our committee, uh, the president started taking advice from individuals other than the people who had been working with him during his presidency. He brought in a, 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 what some people referred to as a clown car uh, because uh, the individuals uh, that came to the White House offering advice were not people that... Uh, people in his administration uh, agreed with. And they told us in the hearings, as well as in the depositions, that they disagreed with him. And they told the president of their disagreement. Uh, Congressman, uh, uh, we really appreciate uh, you being here, Congressman Benny Thompson, uh, chairman, former chairman of the January 6th committee. Thank you, sir. We really appreciate you being here. And hopefully you'll come back. We're going to continue to talk about this. Um, thank you, sir. Uh, let me let me go back to you, Neil. We and I can report now that you know we've all been playing the guessing game all day. Uh, I've got my I've got my indictment here, and I will I, I will proudly note that I appear to have been correct uh, so far. I'm doing pretty well uh, on my on my pop quiz. NBC now can confirm that it does appear that co-conspirator number two, who's described as an attorney who devised and attempted to implement a strategy to leverage the vice president's ceremonial role, overseeing the certification proceeding to obstruct the certification of the presidential election, uh, does appear to be John Eastman, who we know wrote the memo and goes all the way back to the year 2000, in which he believed in this idea that um, these sort of electors are don't have to be connected to the the votes that are supposed to be attached to them, and that number four, co-conspirator number four, who's described as a Justice Department official who worked on civil matters and who, with the defendant, attempted to use the Justice Department to open sham election crime investigations and influence state legislatures with knowingly false claims of election fraud, appears to be Jeffrey Clark, who Donald Trump attempted to install yes. uh, in power. Your thoughts? 
So, Joy, I clerked with John Eastman on the Supreme Court, and it's um, so sad to see what he, what he's done and what's happened. Um, and it's you know Jack Smith is facing two challenges here. Challenge number one is timing and making sure that Donald Trump can't run out the clock before the November 24 elections through his typical delay strategy. And that's why this indictment is just against Donald Trump. There are six other people mentioned as conspirators. None of them are indicted. And I suspect that's because Jack Smith doesn't want the trial of the other six to be bundled up with this and slow this down. Second challenge, this is the one Senator McCaskill was talking about and John Psaki was talking about, the massive amount of disinformation that Donald Trump spews about how he did nothing wrong, about how this is the Biden Justice Department going after a political rival. And Smith has two things that I think he had that need to happen here. One, people need to understand Jack Smith is not a Biden official. Jack Biden had nothing to do with his appointment. Jack Smith is a career prosecutor, not appointed by either party. He's independent and he's operating under special counsel guidelines that give him the independence to do this prosecution without talking to Biden or others in his administration and seeking their approval. I wrote those regulations as a young Justice Department staffer. And when you hear Donald Trump talk about the Biden DOJ going after him, it's just flatly wrong. Second thing that I think needs to happen, because of the amount of disinformation, I think the public needs to see this trial for themselves. It'd be great to have the book club that Senator McCaskill talks about, and I hope everyone joins it. But the reality is TV and visually seeing it in live real time is going to be the most important antidote for disinformation. And the idea that we're going to have this, this trial, the most significant trial in our lifetimes and not on television, I think is really dangerous. We face this in the George Floyd prosecution in which I was special prosecutor, and it was televised, even though Minnesota had never televised a criminal trial in its history up until that point. And I think it was powerful for the public to see it all. And I think the same thing is true here. Jack Smith has done a really important thing for American democracy, which has frankly been spit on a lot by in the last few years. But in order to bring the task home, I think it's really important for all Americans to see this trial, see, you know, whether Donald Trump's these allegations against Donald Trump and all the detail in the 45 pages we're talking about. Can Jack Smith prove it up and prove it up under the highest standard allied against him in the law beyond a reasonable doubt? I suspect he can, but let's see it for ourselves. Uh, say, say a little bit more for, for us, please, Neil. How does that how can that happen? Because you literally anticipated what my follow up was going to be is I agree with you, because there is nothing that I can say that Jen can say on her amazing show that anyone can say. I, even Rachel Maddow could not convince, uh, you know, the however many tens of millions of people who um, are in ardor to Donald Trump and who are in a sort of religious relationship with Donald Trump um, that any of these things are true, but they're laid out so frankly by Jack Smith and so matter of factly and without, you know, they're, they're not festooned with anything. It's just very simple. But if it's not televised, I agree with you. No one's going to believe it. So how do we get this trial televised? What are the rules? How is it done? 
So first of all, Joy, all your shows are amazing. And, and I do want to push back on the idea that nobody's going to listen. Criminal trials, even if they're not televised, do have a way of changing people's minds because they operate under established procedures and rules. And, you know, again, Trump is entitled to all these presumptions. So I do think a certain number of people are going to be swayed by the criminal trial itself. But the way in which it gets done, and it would be historic, is for the Chief Justice, John Roberts, to authorize the televising of this trial. He has the absolute power to do so. Um, and I think for reasons of American democracy, he very much should. <sighs> it's up to John Roberts. See, now you, you, you brought me up and now, my friend, you have brought me down. Um, uh, I, we're going to keep talking about this. I, I, I do. I know we have to let you go, uh, Neil Cattell, but I, I think we need to talk more about this. Thank you, Neil Katya. I know you've been doing lots and lots and lots today, uh, so we're going to let him take a break. We're going to also take a quick break. Um, it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, Things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity set up chores, and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. But before we do that, I do want to bring in Olivia Troy, uh, former uh, senior advisor to Vice President Mike Pence uh, and the co-founder of the group Mission Democracy. I'm going to hold my—I'm in my feelings about the John Roberts piece of this and having to rely on him to get this trial televised deep in my feelings, but I'm going to pause on that for a moment because Jen Psaki did a great reading for us, and she gave us a page we needed to turn to. I love to do a— Believe me, a dramatic reading is not as good as a televised <laughs> We can do our best. No, but Claire but McCaskill said we're doing a book club, and I'm, I'm joining uh, Claire's book club because there's usually probably going to be amazing cake at it, and I'm coming to it. Um, but I want to go back to what you read, Jen, and I thought it was so smart for you to go right to page 36. And that is uh, also on January 5th, the defendant met alone with the vice president, your former boss, when the vice president refused to agree to the defendant's request that he obstruct the certification. The defendant grew frustrated and told the vice president that the defendant would have to publicly criticize him. Upon learning of this, the vice president's chief of staff was concerned for the vice president's safety and alerted the head of the vice president's secret service detail. We saw that dramatic um, restatement of your boss's refusal to get into the car and leave. He's in the garage. He's obviously in danger. We saw the phone call that Speaker Pelosi placed to him with great concern for his safety. Tell us what you make of the indictment and the role that Mike Pence is going to play in this prosecution. Yeah, look, it, you know, we're on the same page because I actually had it open to that page and I have that part <laughs> circled because that gave me chills. Um, it was just so reminiscent of, you know, I went to the January 6th Select Committee hearings. I was there when they went over uh, what happened with Mike Pence. I was there when Greg Jacob testified, which was the vice president's general counsel, where they show the video footage. And I don't think Greg had realized how close they had come to the vice president. 
um, it was within several feet, right? And I that is a vision that came back to me when I was reading this and just thinking about the fact that you know, when you're staff, and, and you know this very well, you know the personalities, you know how the battle rhythm is going to play out. And by this point, we knew what Donald Trump was, right? Mike Pence knows who Donald Trump is very well. And I think he's he was critical to this. And, and look, to go back to Neil, what he said about the, yeah. the trial being public, I wanted nothing more than to have Mike Pence speak to the committee when it was happening, because I thought it was important for the public to hear it from him directly, given the divisiveness that we have in this country, given what's happened here. And the indictment, I think, it's criti- critically important for accountability. It's critically important because when I, when I think about this and I think about today, all of this led to threats against Americans across the country. Election workers, the Georgia election workers. I think about an election worker, a local registrar in Washoe County, Nevada. That's who I thought about today, who quit her job because of fear, because of the troll farms that had gone after her, based on all of these lies and this narrative that had been pushed, this conspiracy on this election, where it all started in the White House, in the Oval Office, the most powerful office probably in the world, where all of this was coordinated. And now we see all of these witnesses, and he lays this out so clearly. And these are Republicans, right? Their own party saying, we told him. He knew. He was fully aware. And from the very top of the country down to that local registrar who quit her job for the fear of all these people coming after her and the threats, those threats still remain today. That's why this matters. That's why accountability. That's why this rule of law matters. And I hope that we'll see this process play out because I do think that Americans need to see it and understand it. And while he has loyal followers that are unwavering, I think that you need to sit down and think about your neighbor, someone that you knew, your family member who still believes the election was stolen and read this document and have that serious conversation with them because that's what I think about. I think my family members that don't speak to me still today who think that I'm part of the deep state conspiracy because in the end I I voted for Joe Biden because it was the right thing to do for the country. Yeah. But I mean, the thing is, is that your family members who are not speaking to you are going to have this trial interpreted by Fox, by Newsmax, by OANN, and not by you, and not by you, and not by any of us. And, you know, Claire, I'll bring you back in here on this note, because I do— I agree with you on the book club thing. I think they should put this on a those speaker trucks that, you know, you, you used to do campaigns. They used to put, you know, the speaker truck where you can just drive through the neighborhood and, like, you know, read this indictment because people—I worry that without a televised trial, like the OJ trial, you know, it would be the trial of the century. This is the most important case, you know, as Neil said, of our lifetimes, of any of our lifetimes. This is a president trying to overturn an election for the first time in the history of the United States. But without a televised trial, it's just going to be us saying it and saying what happened every day and interpreting it for people and then watching it on the local news, you know, maybe from one of those, you know, companies that's, you know, really, you know that, that puts out sort of a conservative version of local news. I, I don't know how we get people to see it. And I'm not—I don't have faith in John Roberts. I'm just going to be honest. I don't know how many people I'm speaking for watching. Do I have faith in Chief Justice Roberts? No, I don't. Well, there there are people that can influence Justice Roberts and those people, Chief Justice Roberts, those people are federal judges. 
And I really believe that every federal judge in the country ought to do a gut check tonight and think about why is it, why is it that we could televise the OJ trial decades ago? That was in the 90s. And people could see what actually happened in the courtroom. And I would argue, while there was a lot of uncomfortable Americans about what happened in that trial, they weren't able to make stuff up because everybody saw it in real time. So I I do think federal judges should begin influencing the federal judiciary that this is ridiculous in this day and age when we have the, the... Uh, little computers in our hands feeding us information. And we have algorithms reinforcing what our views are over and over and over again. There ought to be an opportunity in this kind of historic trial that everybody sees the evidence as admitted into our courts of law. It would reassure them about our rule of law. It would reassure them about the fact that most of this evidence is coming from Trump loyalists. And then finally, Joy, I've got to say, the other people that could have influence over this are people like Mike Pence and Republicans who could quit dancing with this guy. They could quit playing footsie with this guy. They could quit pretending that he actually has a point about the election being stolen. If every Republican leader would speak up and say the election was not stolen, he is lying to you. Not only would maybe one of them have a chance of beating him in the primary, Maybe their party would have a chance again with 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 folks in this country that see very clearly that he was just trying to make stuff up so he could stay in power, which was against the Constitution. Yeah. One can can hope and, and, and pray and dream. Uh, uh, former Senator Claire McCaskill, uh, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. Um, hmm. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Before, before we go, I know we, do, we have to do take a break. Take a break, but you are our resident former prosecutor here. Is there a process by which a formal request, do you know, can be made to Chief Justice Roberts to televise this trial? Because I think we all agree that without a televised trial, it's going to be interpreted, and then people will just choose their own adventure on what they believe. Yeah, so I'm not aware of any kind of process for this to sort of take place in an organized way. I do agree that actually having outside voices, including other judges, weigh in on this publicly, letters to the editor and all that sort of thing could have some sway here. Yeah. Um, But not to bring folks down further. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think there's going to be a big question about whether there is a trial in this case before next November. Um, The average time to trial or to disposition in Washington, D.C. for a federal uh, felony case is over a year and a half. And that includes cases that are pled out. So there's going to need to be a very concerted effort on the part of uh, Jack Smith, even the judge, if, they, if she wants it to happen, to make this trial happen next year. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, as you know, uh, if Trump manages to win the Republican primary and to be reelected, there's never going to be a trial. And this is the challenge, is that if, if we get to March, I mean, it is possible, given the way the polling looks right now, that Donald Trump is already effectively the nominee mm-hmm. by March. And then he's got another trial that's supposedly going to start in March, the trial um, on the documents case, the Florida case. And he'll simply go back to that friendly judge and say, Joe Biden is trying to try his chief opponent. And then this case here, he'll go back and say, Joe Biden is trying to try his chief opponent. And so without a speedy trial and without a televised trial, 
Yes. I'm going to bring you down, but I'm going to bring you up. Okay. okay. I need to come so, back up. <laughs> look, I think one of the most alarming numbers to me in that New York Times poll that you referenced, Joy, was the 22 percent of people who thought that he was guilty of a crime or had done something very bad or criminal and still would support him. Yeah. That does confirm everything you said about the primary process and Trump being the very, very likely nominee. I mean, we've seen poll after poll sure. convey that. I'm going to bring you up now. Um, I also think what we saw in 2022 is that the American people, independents, Democrats, people who may turn out because it's an election that they're excited about, a midterm election or a general election, don't like this anti-democratic big lie pushing, right? Yeah. And that is going to be incumbent. Yes, we all agree that a public trial would be best for this, but that argument— not not shying away from the argument, democracy versus what is representing over here, right? Standing up for the values of our country, the foundations and what we've been based on. You know, my view, this is also about fighting against Trump's effort to make himself the victim. He is not the victim. Everyone needs to start saying yeah. he is not the victim. The yeah. victims are Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman. Yes. They're institutions. Yes. They're the Republican Party, I think yeah. you could argue. Yeah. Um, so... I thought, I hope I brought you up. You did. And, and, it's primary in general, different animals. And by the way, per the indictment, the victims are the American people. Because yes. one of the counts is conspiracy against rights, Joe Weinbanks, exactly. the attempt to deprive the American people of the right to vote and have your vote counted. Let's go back, though, to this procedure. Talk about speedy trial procedure, because that is one of the things that Jack Smith did say in his very brief, uh, very matter-of-fact uh, media appearance. He said, we're going to look for a speedy trial. How can that happen? And what do you think the chances are of being able to somehow uh, petition the chief justice to televise it? So let me answer about the speedy trial. And then I want to talk about cameras in the courtroom, because I just looked up the current rule. And I'm going to really bring you up on that, because it said that a judge may authorize broadcasting, televising, recording or taking photographs in the courtroom and in adjacent areas during da 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 such activities in a courtroom, during other proceedings or recesses between such other proceedings, for the presentation of evidence, for the perpetuation of the record of the proceedings, for security purposes, for other purposes of judicial administration, etc. So I believe that the District of Columbia Court, Circuit Court, could authorize a camera in the courtroom. And I believe that the American Bar Association may have some interest in helping this to become real. Now, to your question about speedy trial, the Speedy Trial Act really lays out specifics of how many days you get and how many delays you can take and which ones will count against the number of days. And keep in mind that a speedy trial is for the benefit of the defendant and the American people. And in this case, I would say the American people's interest in knowing the outcome of this case before they have to cast their ballot is so significant that it would be derelict of any judge to allow this to go. And I will point out that in Watergate, we indicted in March. We went to trial in September and had a verdict on January 1st. So a complicated trial involving the president as a co-conspirator. Yes, it's different with him as a defendant, but not that much different. And it involved the attorney general, the chief of staff, et cetera. We were talking about high profile people. We had multiple defendants, which complicates it. 
And yet we were able to get it done. And that's how it happened. And in that time period, we also went to the Supreme Court to get a ruling that said we had a right to the tapes, that the American people had a right to hear them. So I think we could have a trial before November, and I think it could be televised. That is excellent news. Okay, look, she's brought us all the way up. It was a two-step process. It started with Dan, and then it it continued with Joe Weinbanks. Uh, uh, I'm coming back to you then, uh, because if that happened, what people would see in this trial— to your point, is a series of Republicans, Mm -hmm. a series of Trump loyalists, a series of people who desperately wanted Trump to win. Not a single person here is a never-Trumper. None of these people were against him. He can't can't portray them as that. These are his people. So this trial, whenever it takes place, will be about Republicans who told Trump the truth and he refused to believe it or refused to act on it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the theory of the case here um, does closely track the January 6th committee's theory of the case. And, you know, I actually have a piece that just went live on this at Politico. I don't think we would have seen this indictment had it not been for the committee, the hearings, and the incredible service, frankly, that they did for the American people. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of, like, how they construct the case, how they try to impute knowledge to Trump about what he knows Mm -hmm. and the fact that like so much of it is about how much he is being told from his own people, his own his own officials, his own supporters, the people who are paid to work for him or to get him reelected. Yeah. That is a theory that really we saw first and foremost through the committee. And it's been productively, it seems, um, retraced here. Um, And and I do think it is critical. It was critical, I think, to engaging people last summer. And it would be critical to trying to pull in some of these people who may not be inclined to just believe, you know, the government's allegations. And the thing is, is that, you know, if you have witnesses, you're talking about people like a Cassidy Hutchinson, Mm -hmm. right? You're talking about people who were working for Trump and that he chose himself. Several people are named here. And Jack Smith makes the point of saying they were hired by Trump, they were brought in by Trump, they're his people. That's Absolutely. who testified. I mean, that's who testified. That's who witnessed us. And they were his people loyal until the end. Yes. Right? They, they didn't leave before the election. They, they, they stayed there, and they were waiting for him to get reelected. That was their hope. And so th- then they realize, okay, this is out of control. This man is out of control, and he's lying. And what's happening here, the country meant more to these people yeah. than one man. And, I, and look, Claire McCaskill is absolutely correct. That needs to resonate with Republicans. I keep looking around saying, please, like you all, everyone knows the truth here. Just let's acknowledge it and move on. Yeah. I mean, the country would be in such a better place if that could just happen. Yeah. And really quickly, Jill uh, Weinbanks, I want to go back to you just for one moment since you brought us up so much. And we're we're like happy and smiling, thinking there could be hope um, that we can actually see this trial. Talk about these other unindicted co-conspirators. If you, if you were one of them, or one of their lawyers, or were representing them, would you be concerned that at some point during, after, or at some point, they might be facing indictment as well? Because their participation is described in very, very specific terms. Yes, I would. If I were one of their lawyers, I would be trying to make a proffer and make a deal. Um, I'm not sure that Jack Smith would accept a deal because each of them is so culpable that they would have to plead guilty and accept some jail sentence in order for me to accept a plea from them. That's what we did with John Dean. That's what we did with Jeb Magruder. They were crucial witnesses, but they were so complicit in the crimes that it would have been unfair to let them get away without pleading guilty and serving a sentence. So, yes. 
I think there will be a separate indictment of those so that this trial is unimpeded by the complications of multi-defendant cases. Uh, there's one person I think um, that I would have to say, in, in some sense, has been vindicated uh, today, and that would be Merrick Garland. I have been a very big, a very big skeptic of Merrick Garland. I have been, I think at one point I called him Merrick the Mild. I admit to doing that. Uh, but he, it is very clear that his strategy um, in appointing Jack Smith one out here is that he has somebody that's got distance. It's got distance from the DOJ, distance from the White House. Let me play uh, what he said today. He had very brief remarks. But let's play them. Career men and women of the Justice Department engaged in what has become the largest investigation in our history. In November last, I appointed Jack Smith, a special counsel, to take on the ongoing investigation in order to underline the department's commitment to accountability and independence. Mr. Smith and his team of experienced, principled career agents and prosecutors have followed the facts and the law wherever they lead. Any questions about this matter will have to be answered by the filings made in the courtroom. Thank you. And Jen, I think because this is so unprecedented, a former president of the United States, a president who attempted to remain in power, it is just so sort of mind-boggling, um, just as an historic matter. It had to be someone like Jack Smith. It had to be someone with that kind of distance. And many, it was a wise— In many ways, it had to be Merrick Garland, because—and sure. I remember I was on the transition when Joe Biden nominated him. Yeah. One of the things that was appealing about him was that he's allergic to politics <laughs> in a way that warranted, yeah. you know, critiques sure. and frustration at different times. He— was playing for history here um, and was not going to be pressured by public pressure. Yeah. That may be good for history. We'll see. But that is what we're talking about here. I mean, if we take a step back from all this paper and the crazy things that make your eyeballs pop out of your head, <laughs> it, this has never happened before. Yeah. A president of the United States has never tried to overturn an election. And what is so striking about this is it is about two months. It's not about one horrific day, a very horrific day. It's about yeah. two months. But yes, Merrick Garland, allergic to politics, sometimes a negative, largely a positive probably for Absolutely. history. Name Jack Smith. What is also striking to me as a communications person for many years is the lack of leaking from yes. all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Every time something comes out, there are things we learn. And that is them doing their jobs. Yeah. And, you know, in all these days of darkness, we should feel good about the Justice Department, the justice system working and moving the process forward. Dude, we were learning, I push more from Donald Trump's social media feed about what was happening than we were from the DOJ, yes. right? We were only finding out, and the reason we've been on this waiting game is because he keeps saying, I'm about to be indicted. Yes. He keeps talking, and it's him that's trying, that's driving sort of the, the comms around this because he won't shut up. Uh, but in this case, it's been a silent but really powerful uh, move because this is, it is damning. It is damning, and I think the, the discipline around this is very, very impressive. And I have to say, I have been quite critical of Merrick Garland. I was quite critical for much of the first two years mm -hmm. of the administration, where I kind of felt like they were deliberately trying to avoid, quite honestly, it, this, it this like confrontation. It. Sure. And I think we're going to learn more in the future about whether and to what extent the committee indirectly kind of moved this forward. Mm -hmm. um, but I think at this point in time, Having Merrick Garland as the attorney general is an incredible asset to Joe Biden. He's someone who, you know, I wrote a profile of him at one point. I spent months talking to people. 
Nobody has anything bad to say about him. It's remarkable. Nobody ever accuses him of being dishonest or less than forthright or doing anything less than what he thinks is the absolute correct thing. So, and so I've been pulling my hair out over the Hunter Biden stuff, but let's not even go there. Yeah. But to have him be sort of the front person at this point in time, it may be the best position for this case to be in over the long historical sweep. And Trump will try to attack him, but he Absolutely. is, in a sense, unimpeachable in the sense that he is— so vanilla. He is so—he he is not at all partisan. He is not political. And that is—it's going to be difficult to make him the straw man here. Yeah, and look—and to his point and, and to what you said about Donald Trump attacking him, I spoke to many Republicans when Merrick Garland was appointed and took the job, and they had the utmost respect for him. Mm -hmm. He was known as a true person in the law, well-respected in the law enforcement, like— Law, legal community, the national security community, which is where I came from. Many of my former bosses had nothing but very good things to say about him. Yeah. And Jill Weinbanks, I, there could be nothing more complicated uh, or more difficult than prosecuting a former president of the United States. Um, whatever Donald Trump has said about lock her up when he was running for president in 2016 and has continued to, uh, you know, troll on about he'd love how much he'd love to indict Hunter Biden Joe Biden and all the Bidens. Um, this country has not prosecuted a former president. Came very close with Nixon, but didn't. Um, talk just about that, the sort of historic nature of attempting to try, put on trial, a former president of the United States. It is historic. It would be even more historic if he had been indicted as president, which I do believe the Office of Legal Counsel opinion is incorrect, that there's no legal constitutional foundation for that opinion, I argued for the indictment of Nixon as president and even more, more vociferously when he was the resigned president, because all the arguments about not indicting a sitting president because it interferes with them doing their job is irrelevant when they are just a private citizen. And I think it was a great disservice that Nixon got pardoned by his successor, President Ford, and was never indicted because had he been, I do believe there would have been a stronger message to Donald Trump that the president is not above the law and that you have to obey and abide by the rule of law. So I'm sorry that Nixon wasn't. I feel very sad and and there's no, no other word for it, somber and sad that we are on this day indicting a former president, but it was sad that he got elected and could have gotten reelected and could still be reelected. So it's important to get these facts out so that it, that doesn't happen and that our democracy doesn't end. Uh, well said, uh, Jill Weinbanks, and uh, who would know very well, uh, which brings us to you, my friend. Joe Biden is that guy. He's Mr. Bipartisan. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of people who expressed concerns that he would pardon Donald Trump. What do you think? I don't know. Um, I think he is somebody who reaches for that, uh, reaches for that healing um, approach. Um, but I don't know what would be in his head in this moment, Joy, honestly. I, yeah. I mean, I know that how he'll run the campaign um, will be going back to some of those messages from 2020 about— yeah you know, standing up for who we are as a country. But if it comes down to it and there's a former president who is in jail, I don't know. You brought me back down again. 
Jen Psaki. <laughs> she brings me up. She brings me down. But we love her. Uh, Jen Psaki, Jill Weinbanks, Ankush Kardori, Olivia Troy, and all of our guests tonight. Thank you all very much. That is tonight's readout. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.